If all the promises that were made about Jesus' first coming were fulfilled, can we trust that all the promises that we have of Jesus' second coming will also be fulfilled? Any amens to that? Amen Amen to that. We look this morning at James James chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Living in light of the end, there's, there's going to come a day when the earth will be dissolved like snow, we just sang. Jesus is going to come again, and we need to be ready for that day. James chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of want and pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who is full of compassion and merciful. You have shown that to us in the birth of your son, in his life and death and resurrection. You reveal that mercy to us daily, Lord, and we are so thankful for that. And we await the day when you come again, when your grace and mercy will be poured out upon us in such a marvelous way. But until that day, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in light of the end. Live in light of the fact that one day, Lord Jesus, you will come again. We pray these things in your name. Amen. There are some people who look at the second coming of Jesus as almost kind of a a secondary doctrine. uh, Something that really isn't that important and we shouldn't waste our time arguing about the second coming. After all, you know, Christians don't agree on that and so maybe we should just just, uh, simply ignore it. Uh, My dad did a lot of special meetings over the years, and he would often preach on the second coming at least one night when he was out in the various congregations. And he said a common comment that he got was, we don't hear much about the second coming of Jesus. 
And I know that saddened his heart to think of that because Scripture is filled with references to the second coming. The New Testament contains over 300 references to Christ's return. That's almost one in every 13 verses. I'd say that's not something we should just ignore. The second coming of Jesus is clearly, clearly an emphasis in the New Testament. If you examine the verses in the New Testament that talk about the second coming of Jesus, you will notice an important principle. The vast majority of these verses in the New Testament tell us that the second coming of Christ ought to have a significant impact on the way we live. It is not just a pie-in-the-sky thing that one day is going to come, but if we're really living in light of the second coming of Jesus, it is going to make a difference in the way we live. And that's what the New Testament makes very clear. James addresses this in our text as well. And he addresses here two groups of people. He gives a warning to one group, and he gives an encouragement to the other. Notice, first of all, a word of warning. A word of warning given, given to the wealthy exploiter. And that word is to beware. Jesus is coming again. Now, it's important to notice that James isn't making here what we would call a, an indiscriminate attack upon the wealthy. Not at all. There are many godly men in Scripture who were wealthy. Think of Abraham. Very wealthy man. And what does the Bible say about him? He was a, a friend of God. Called of God. Or Job. A great man, a wealthy man. What does it say about him? He was an upright man who feared God and, and turned from evil. Or we think of David, a man after God's own heart. So James is not addressing people who are just simply rich, as if there's, it's sinful to be wealthy. The focus here is on wealth that's been gained and used in an unjust way. The focus is on those who exploit others for their own personal gain. And to these people, James says, you better beware. Jesus is coming again. And your judgment is going to be, first of all, a just judgment. The wealthy people that James is addressing here were the landowners, the ones who hired people to mow their fields, but didn't pay them for their work. Verse 4 says, Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the word translated cries out here gives really, it's, it's, it's quite a strong uh, picture of pain. It carries the idea of shouting for help in a tumultuous way. So here's people who are likely suffering. This was not just a minor irritation. This was a desperate plea from people who were counting on the wages that these wealthy landowners were supposed to give them for taking care of their fields. But notice, rather, rather than listening to the cries of the unpaid workers, the wealthy landowners silenced their cries. And the statement we're given in verse 6 seems to suggest that they did it through the legal system. Verse 6 says, You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. And you can imagine how they did that. The wealthy landowners probably paid for their verdict. 
They had money. And they were able to bribe uh, people. Could always find someone who can be bought at a certain price. And even in the legal system, and I suppose you find that today as, as well. But notice how just their judgment would be. The cries of the laborers that you find in verse 4 would result in the cries from the landowners. Because the, the text begins this way, Come now, you rich, weep, howl for the miseries which are coming upon you. That's just judgment. You're not going to listen to the cries of the ones you haven't paid. You're going to weep. You're going to howl because misery is going to come upon you. That's just judgment. Not only is it just judgment, but their judgment was also certain judgment. And the reason why it would be certain judgment is because even though the the, the landowners weren't listening to the cries of the laborers, there was one who was. (laughs) Who was that? Look at verse 4. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been held by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath or Sabbath. Interesting uh, word there. The word translated Sabbath is an untranslated Greek word that comes from the Hebrew word Saba, meaning hosts or armies. So the Lord of Sabbath or Lord of hosts describes the Lord as the commander of the armies of heaven who comes to the aid of God's people. So that's a very strong term. When you see the Lord of hosts, that's the God who rules all creation, the God who has his armies at his disposal, that's the one who hears. Even though the the owners of the land did not hear the cries, James says, there's one who does hear. And that's the Lord of hosts. If you want to deal with the Lord of hosts, look out. Weep and wail because there's misery coming upon you. I think of Elisha when the Arameans were chasing him. Trying to capture him in the city of Dothan. Remember that story, Second Kings chapter 6? And the servant goes out and he sees these armies that are surrounding the city. And he says, Master, what are we going to do? And remember how Elisha prayed? He said, Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes to see that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Remember that? The Lord opens his eyes and he sees these the chariots of fire surrounding Elijah. There, there's the Lord of hosts with his heavenly army protecting Elisha. That's the one that hears the cries of those being defrauded. And he says to the wealthy landowners, you better beware. Your judgment is just. Your judgment will be certain because... God will deal with you. And thirdly, your your judgment is going to be complete. Look at the picture given of the judgment. Very very graphic picture. Verse 1, they will weep and howl for the miseries that will come upon them. Verse 3 says their flesh will be consumed like fire. 
Verse 5 says that leading a life of wanton pleasure like these men has only served to fatten their hearts for the day of slaughter. Isn't that an interesting picture? What, what comes to your mind? Fattening pigs, right? You feed the pigs, you get them as fat as can be, as heavy as can be for, for the day of slaughter. And so these wealthy people feeding themselves, thinking, man, this is wonderful, this is great, filling themselves with want and pleasure. Jesus says, you know what? You're just being fattened for judgment. The day of slaughter. So as I studied this, I, I, I had to ask the question, why would James write this to, to believers, describing what's going to happen to these wealthy landowners that were exploiting the poor? I think one reason is because there were probably unbelievers who had maybe an outward connection with the congregation, with the church, and they didn't really know the Lord. They were guilty of exploiting the poor and they needed to be warned. Because in every congregation, we don't assume that everybody who comes here knows the Lord, do we? We, could, we can never do that. We should never assume that just because someone comes to church or someone has an outward connection with the congregation that they know Jesus. Those people need to be warned, right? And so here we see the warning. If there were some of these uh, wealthy landowners that had some kind of a connection to the ones to whom James is writing, James says, you better beware. You better watch out. But I think another reason James addresses exploiters of the poor as he writes to believers is because believers aren't immune from the desire to be wealthy. There's all kinds of warnings given in Scripture about those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, right? And into a snare to many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men into destruction. So we need to hear this as well. We're not immune from the temptation to want wealth and riches. And when you start falling for that kind of life, you can start using people, exploiting them for your own personal gain. R. Kent Hughes says, Though these persons whom James addresses were the calloused, unbelieving rich, the message is also meant to benefit the church. James understood that the natural human tendency is to envy the rich, if sustained, would lead many Christians astray. Thus, this scathing warning to the ungodly rich is also meant to steel his people against such folly. So the warning to the wealthy exploiters of the poor is you better beware. You better beware. God's just and complete judgment is sure to come unless you repent. Starting at verse 7 then, we find a word of encouragement. A word of encouragement to the suffering believer. And that word of encouragement is be patient. <laughs> to the rich beware, to the suffering believer be patient. And it's obviously something that James wants to emphasize because in the last five verses, we see four of those verses mentions either the word patience or the word endurance. Notice, first of all, he says, be patient 
for the coming of the Lord. Verses 7 and 8. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Our waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. The word therefore takes us back, doesn't it, to what James has just said in uh, the first six verses. He's writing to believers who are probably on the receiving end of unjust treatment. May have been some of those who had been mowing the fields and had not been paid for their, their labor. James says to these people, be patient. Be patient. Now, it would be one thing if James told them to be patient because things are going to soon get better, right? It's going to be all better. But he doesn't say that. You know, we are living in a fallen world and some things are just not going to get better. In fact, some things are going to get worse. If I understand my Bible, things are going to be more difficult, more challenging as we approach the return of Jesus. And that's why we need to live with an eternal perspective, don't we? We need to be patient for the coming of the Lord because then, then things will be much, much, much better. Sin will be punished. Righteousness will reign. And we who know Jesus will be in a place where there is never any more injustice, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. And so James says, be patient, brethren. Jesus is coming. And notice the illustration he gives. He talks about the farmer. The farmer. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. The farmer has learned something. He's learned that there's nothing that he can do to cause the crop to grow, right? Puts it in the ground. Then he trusts God's going to provide the rain and the sun and that seed that's been planted is, is going to grow. When, it's, when the time is right, there will be a, a harvest. And I don't, I don't know if I'd say a farmer is content to wait, <laughs> but he learns that he has to wait, right? And doesn't worry about the weather, right? You know, there's a few farmers here and you, you do know what that's like, but... There's nothing you can do. You, you have to wait. And another reason the farmer waits patiently because he knows that his labor will eventually be rewarded. One day the ground will yield, as James says, its precious produce. And it will be worth it all, right? Isn't that what we need to recognize as, as believers in Jesus? We may go through some difficult times now, some challenging times now. But when we live our lives for Jesus, can we not say the best is yet to come? If we believe what the Bible says about the second coming of Jesus, we'd have to say the best is yet to come. No question about it. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace, when He takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day glorious day that will be so we wait be 
patient for the coming of Jesus. How about verse 9? Is this needed for the believer? Be patient with one another? Is that something we need to hear? Look at verse 9. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. You might expect him to say, don't complain about the wealthy landowners, right? And that would certainly make sense because... Uh, humanly speaking, many would say, well, they had a right to complain about that. But, but he addresses believers. Believers. Are there times when we complain against one another? Any of you ever done that? Yeah. It's, it's easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? To complain about our brother, our sister in the Lord. And Satan certainly is behind that. He wants to sow seeds of discord and um, complaining spirits. Um, and sometimes that's one of those sins that we would tolerate more than, than some of the other ones that are much worse than that, right? At least we think that. And maybe we expect more from the believer. And when we don't see what we expect to see, there's, there's frustration and, and maybe disappointment. But James says, don't, don't do that, brethren. And that word brethren gives us a key. Why? Because we're part of the same family. We have the same Lord. We call each other brother and and sister. And if we're part of the same family, then maybe we need to live like family, right? We need to love one another and care for one another. And the world is watching. The world is watching. And it seems to me that there are a few things that hinder our testimony more than we when we who know Jesus can get along. The world says, Really? Why do I need Jesus? You're no different than me, huh? Brethren, don't, don't, don't complain against one another. We are family, right? But notice also, he says, Brethren, don't complain against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. This reminds me of a time when I was going to visit someone in the hospital quite a few years ago. And the door was shut, and I knocked on it, and I heard this voice, Just a minute. So I was standing out there waiting, and there was a conversation going on between two nurses. And they were at each other. And I heard every word. And when the door opened, I was standing there with my Bible, and, oh, I'll tell you what, their, their faces were a little bit red. Now, I'm not the judge standing at the door, but I represent the judge, right? And... It was just really embarrassing for them. Well, Jesus is coming, and we don't want to be among those who are like James describes here. Don't, don't, don't do that, brothers. You're your family, and, and, and Jesus is coming. You live in light of the fact that He's coming again, and that makes a difference in how you live. So be patient 
for the coming of the Lord. Be patient with one another. And then the third thing he addresses here, be patient in our circumstances. As an example, brethren, he says, as an example of of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So James is saying, if your circumstances are are difficult, here's an example of those who face difficult circumstances. Why? Not because they had, had sinned, but because they were faithful. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And sometimes that's the hardest suffering to take. I mean, if, we, if we've done something wrong and we suffer for it, there's a sense in which we say, okay, I deserve this. I had it coming. But when you do what is right and you suffer for it, it's somehow just, it's just, no, wait a minute. I'm being faithful to you, Lord, and, and, and this, is, this is what I'm facing. I think of Jeremiah, all the struggles he faced. Chapter 20, verse 2, the priest had Jeremiah beaten and put in stocks. Chapter 32, verse 2, he was thrown into prison by the king. Chapter 38, verse 6, thrown into a muddy cistern. But he continued to proclaim God's word. And as James says, he was an example of suffering and patience. So you have the prophets. And then in verse 11, you have Job. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job. And I've seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Now, we're familiar with the life of Job, aren't we? Think of what he went through, how he suffered, how he lost his possessions in one day, his family in one day, lost his health, lost the support of his wife. She said, just curse God and die. Then his friends came along, and for a week they said nothing and were an encouragement, and then the barrage came. <laughs> uh, confrontation after confrontation when his so-called friends were basically saying, the only reason you're suffering, Job, is you've sinned. You've done something wrong. You talk about uh, difficult circumstances that he went through. But notice what it was. In verse 11, that I think was was the key. James says, you've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. But the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. The outcome, what would that suggest? That would suggest that God had a purpose in this, that God was accomplishing something in Job's life through this. And as you read through the book of Job, you, you see several things. Uh, Job was drawn closer to the Lord. Job 42, verse 5. He says, I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. That would suggest he was drawn closer to the Lord. Lord, I, I, I've heard, heard you, but now I, I see you. I think of Job 23, verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, You can probably finish it, can't you? I shall come forth as gold. And through it all, 
he saw that God is full of compassion and is merciful. The outcome. You know, God has an outcome for us, a purpose for us. And part of that purpose that he wants to produce in our life comes through trials, doesn't it? There are some lessons that that we probably might not learn any other way than through trials. And while we wouldn't say, I don't think any of us, at least I wouldn't say, Lord, bring it on, right? But looking back, we see, okay, I learned a hard lesson there. But I learned it, and I'm thankful, God, for the outcome, for what you did to, to teach me. So God isn't finished with us yet, right? Was that pin years ago? had the first letter of all the words, please be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. With with all of us, he's got more work to do. We need to be patient during that process because the outcome, the result of that, will be wonderful and we will see that God is indeed a God who is full of compassion and is merciful. I read about Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, they were traveling one day and they saw a sign that said, and maybe you've probably seen a sign just like this, end of construction, thank you for your patience. Have you seen a sign like that? Well, she saw that and she said, I want that on my gravestone. And sure enough, when she died in in uh, June of 2007, that was put on her gravestone, end of construction, thank you for your patience. So one day, probably not in Minnesota, there always is construction in Minnesota. One day, there's going to be the end of construction. God will accomplish in our lives the outcome that, that he has desired. And it doesn't pay to fight it, does it? It doesn't pay to fight it. Say, okay, Lord, do, do, do your work in me and help me to be patient in the process. Patient in my circumstances, patient in my trials, Lord, because I know that you're, you're coming again. And what a, what a glorious day that will be. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, brethren. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your coming is near. We don't know when that day will be, but we are to live in light of that great day. Help us, Lord, to focus on you each day, to walk with you, Lord, to rely upon you, to wait for you, Lord Jesus, for the day that you come again. And may that waiting impact the way that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.